Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me on this sports podcast where we have a lot to talk about. It's January 22nd. The sports world is ablaze. Hockey All-Star game coming up this week. Basketball season in full effect. We focus, though, on the NFL, which has a Super Bowl set in stone. It's Chiefs. It's Niners. They both win their conference championship games in dominant fashions. I talked to my good buddy Matt Wittenberg to break down both games. How the Chiefs were able to come back again against the Titans at home and roll in the second half. And the Niners put on yet another beating on the Packers to keep it going and turn around from being the second pick in the draft last year to the Super Bowl. We break that down as well as the Astros cheating scandal and the Conor McGregor fight his return victory over Cowboy Cerrone in the octagon in less than a minute. And then I talked to George Pinozian about the 2020 Australian Open and our favorite tennis bets. George the Gambler back again. The Money Mitch Effect starts right now. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to recap some conference championship games, baseball and UFC, jack of all trades. My buddy Matt Wittenberg. Matt, thanks for joining the show. Oh, always happy to be on, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Well, football has given us a lot of good games in these conference championships. Maybe not so this week, this past year, but uh, we do have a pretty good Super Bowl to look forward to as a result. And I think, you know, we'll start with this, Matt. For the first time in a long time, it definitely feels like these are the two teams that should be playing without a shadow of a doubt in the Super Bowl. Some dominant performances by KC and San Fran. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, leaving no doubt there at the end, both sort of pulling away in their uh, in their respective conference respective conference championship games. And yeah, Baltimore looked like they for a while there they could have been the team out of the AFC, but obviously the Titans ran right through them, so Casey coming up just short last year, losing that overtime uh, thriller to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Obviously, Mahomes is Mahomes. He's probably the all-around best uh, quarterback in the league. I mean, I feel like there's not too much debate about that. And talk about the Niners, though. I mean, we've talked about them quite a bit, just texting-wise. Like, this team was picking number two overall last season. Mm -hmm. And then you have Garoppolo's ACL injury that, like – bolts them up the draft board so they're able to draft Bosa add him to that stout defense and yeah Jimmy's playing really well obviously didn't have to do a whole lot last week against uh, the Packers but that run game is something special a lot of a lot of old school football with that Niners team yeah uh, certainly is Uh, we're gonna start with the AFC game because that was the earlier one I do have uh, a couple things to to say about this one starting with Kansas City and, and how they were able to do it yet again I don't think I've seen a team when we can discuss this, but can you remember a team that feels that, that that feels more confident, more relaxed when they're down? Because it almost feels like nothing phases them Hard and the lead's say. really safe. Because I can't think of a team, even even that Patriots comeback. I mean, that was one isolated incident. We were just weren't used to them being down twenty eight to three in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. The Chiefs have been digging them hole, digging themselves holes pretty much all year, and they've been fine. <laughs> so it's hard to say any team is more comfortable with their back against the wall. Yeah, that's without a doubt. When you have a team with that much speed, when they're able to score, and it feels like they have a college spread type offense, but with a lot of pro wrinkles where they're still able to get balls to the running backs, and obviously Mahomes is a magician. So Andy Reid's uh, clock management doesn't really come into effect if they're able to make those comebacks down to 
No, yeah, clearly doesn't. And, uh, you know, we can, with Mahomes, I think we can start there because it was another ridiculous day for him, which saw him put up numbers that were almost getting numb to 294 through the air, a uh, QB rating of uh, about 123 touchdowns, no picks. And then the run that really flipped the entire game because I thought the Titans were there. They had a good mm-hmm. first half. They were doing a good job in terms of slowing the game down by putting together long drives, not trying to get Casey's offense on the field, keeping him on the sidelines waiting. Henry was bottled up a little bit, but still finished with 70 yards and facing a front that wasn't going to give him anything. Tanhill played solid. They gave themselves a chance. They're up 17, you know, 17-7. It's 17-13. And then that's when the Chiefs figure out a way to get that lead going into half with that Mahomes run, one of the great plays we've seen all season, all decade, really, uh, as it's just starting mm-hmm. out. But if you look at it, I mean, I think what the Chiefs do every every year in every uh, drive that they have, especially at the end of these halves, is put together quick points. We saw it against Houston. They're able to score before the half, and it completely flips the momentum. Yeah, that was really the backbreaker there because Tennessee is not really a team built to come back from a deficit especially when they're going up against an offense like Kansas City's on the road. So, yeah, it's a lot of, like, really bad tackling on that run, actually. But still, you got to give Mahomes a lot of credit for finishing it off and finding the seam to make the play. But, yeah, impressive run for the Titans. They made a lot of fun play calls. Brable, obviously, knows what he's doing. And they're going to be an interesting team to watch coming forward because Henry and Tannehill both free agents. So, I mean, I'm sure they're going to do everything they can to get both of them back, but... Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of problems to that team. Obviously, the, sort of in the vein of the 49ers where they play really good defense and have that great running game, but just a little uh, too much of firepower to overcome against the Chiefs. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they always have uh, one thing to hang their head on as well, uh, the Dennis Kelly touchdown, the fattest guy ever to score a touchdown in the playoffs. <laughs> so that's pretty cool also. Um, no, the Chiefs, I mean, that was the play, that, that end of the half Mahomes run where there was bad tackling. You even saw Vrabel's reaction. It looked like he wasn't quite, you know, he kind of knew that that was a backbreaker by how he, he was reacting to it. Uh, Mahomes is... I bet he wishes he was out there to make the play. Oh, he if there was a rule where he could get a couple snaps in, no pads, he would still do it. That's that's that guy doing push-ups before the game and uh, close to sub-zero temperatures. <laughs> But this team is built with a lot of complementary pieces. We all know about Tyreek Hill uh, and what he's able to do, and Kelsey being the two two breadwinners. But it's hard to say. Let's take away one and, and let's take away an option because Sammy Watkins, who hadn't scored a touchdown since the three he scored in Week One, he has his best game of the year: seven catches, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Damian Williams seems to show up in the playoffs time and time again. They got something out of Robinson Hard as well. Hardman, I mean, they are they are loaded with weapons, complementary pieces. So as much credit as I want to give to Andy Reid, the structure of how this roster was built deserves equally so. Oh, 100%. You can't really find too much, too many weaknesses on that offense. Their line has played really well, too. And then it, start, it all starts with uh, the signal caller. So they, they've really built that, much like what uh, Baltimore did with, around Lamar Jackson. It just feels like this offense is – Taylor made for Mahomes to be able to move around in the pocket, make a play with his legs, and chuck it up deep to those deep threats. So they're, yeah, they're going to be a scary team as long as they keep that core together. Defensively, this team has really grown and really shown strides, even from within this year. Uh, oddly enough, I think it really started when they lost Mahomes midway through the year, when we were wondering about what the future was was for this Chiefs team this mm-hmm. season and beyond. 
you know, questionably with how that injury happened. Mahomes was fine. He was able to bounce back after a few weeks off. But the defense kind of took that as a wake-up call and said, all right, we need to step up. Uh, I know a, a bad issue here, though. i got to bring up the Honey Badger for you, but he's been playing some great yeah, football for the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, Frank Clark's another one. They've got some leaders on that defense, which maybe they haven't had in years past. And you almost get the sense, like, they've been playing meaningful games. They've been asked to even win some games, which would have been a scary, a crazy thought to even have a year ago. But here the Chiefs are defensively, you know, doing great jobs in, in really a back-to-back weeks. If you take away the, the start the Texans had, the Chiefs have been playing some great defensive football for about six quarters now. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously having to... Uh keep the team in it when uh they get dug into those deep holes you can't let those holes get too deep but yeah uh tyron matthew had a great game last week i'm always gonna root for that guy who's obviously still wish he was an arizona cardinal but uh nice to see him doing well and sort being sort of the leader in the back end of that defense taking over uh eric berry's role for all those years out there and then uh them getting chris jones back for this game yeah. against uh, Derek henry was obviously huge so him and Frank Clark up front were all, and obviously they knew that they could just key in on the run. Tannehill did make some nice throws, but you got to sell out to stop Henry, especially the way that he was playing the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, Jones was huge to come back. I, I, I hate to keep reverting to the offense and Reed, and, and you know, Andy Reed is, is, this is his, the feather in his cap now because I think he's clinched the fact that he's a Hall of Famer. I think he was beforehand, but now he's taken two teams to the Super Bowl. Uh, regardless of whether he wins this one, obviously he wants to. It, it is kind of crazy to think, though, also with that the Chiefs haven't been to the Super Bowl in 50 years. Like, I get it, and it's just it's kind of like crazy insane. to think that it's a 50-year drought. So, and the, the fans have been waiting. They're thirsty. And oddly enough, I think they've handled it better than than some fan bases, I could speak to one in particular, have been handling the drought. <laughs> oh, without question that. They've, they've had a great fan base all these years. You see that stadium's always like consistently voted like the loudest in the league and the how intimidating that crowd is. So good for them. Obviously they got the Royals World Series a few years ago for KC fans, so not too not too bad getting the World Series and the Super Bowl appearance in the span of five or so years, whatever it is. Yeah, and you have the best quarterback in football, and it doesn't yep, look like it's gonna change too. that way for some time. Mahomes is incredible. Definitely special and it's funny how it works, you know. Maybe the adversity was a a big part in why they're here. Last year it was kind of just gravy the whole regular season, and this year Mahomes goes down. They've got you know overshadowed a little bit by Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but here they are going mm-hmm. to the Super Bowl, where they'll play the San Francisco Forty ers as we keep it going here on the Money Mitch Effect. The Niners went and did to Green Bay what they did earlier this year, beat them down thirty-seven to twenty was the score, but that was. Not really what the game was. Some garbage time touchdowns late. It was another classic example of the Niners playing efficient on offense, running the heck out of the ball, beating the crap out of the Packers on both sides of the ball, and really getting after Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay offense. This was the textbook, how is San Francisco going to dominate a football game? They did everything they've done all year and uh, peaked at the perfect time with this was just a perfect performance by the Niners. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you only when your quarterback only has to throw 10 passes during the game, you know that you're probably set up for success. When, I mean, Mostert looked like Derrick Henry for all intents and purposes. <laughs> yeah. so. Mostert's thing is interesting, too. 220 yards on the ground and all those touchdowns in this one. Uh, 
you know, four and 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 realistically, a guy that was third string for most of the preseason, most of the regular season too, when everybody was healthy. I love the fact that the Niners have this approach of it's a committee. It's we're all parts of this organization. Uh, Coleman goes down with the injury, may or may not be playing. Breda didn't really get that many snaps. They're riding the hot hand. It's been Mostert recently. Mm-hmm. But you have three legit running backs that I think would get carries on just about any team. Uh, now, it does pay me that Mostert had a cup of coffee with the Browns, so I'm going to point that out. Uh, <laughs> they're okay at running back position. Got a cup but... of coffee with like six teams, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but he stuck it cut out. By all of them. Cut by all of them within two years. He'll stuck it out with the Niners and still going strong he's had himself quite a uh a, a year but Kyle Shanahan you know we give credit to Andy Reid and and the Niners are built on defense so in a way I almost think this this year is kind of overshadowed the fact that Shanahan might be up with Reid the two best play callers in all football with what he's able to do how he's able to dominate games on the run uh make Jimmy G look put Jimmy G in, in situations that are efficient for him but also you know, not not mess with anything too complicated. How many times have we watched the Niners wit and see they have like 10 straight run plays because it's working and they're not going to go away with it. It happened again, and, and it was just a performance that Shanahan, I think, is going to put uh, on his resume wherever he goes from this point forward. Yeah, you have to give him a lot of credit. Obviously, when he was in Atlanta, they threw the ball a lot. That's sort of what his offense is predicated on. But, I mean, he adapts to what the game calls for he's not stubborn and sticking with what he what he thinks he should run just because that's what he's always done he's able to adapt obviously the run was what their bread and butter was against green bay and give them a lot of credit they're not they're not married to the idea that we got to put up 300 plus pass yards and look good and as long as it's working we're going to run it yeah and Jimmy G's performance, we can we can laugh a little bit, eight passes, but didn't do anything stupid. Didn't need him in this game, wasn't called upon. The way this roster's been built, and similar to how I want to give credit to the Niners and what John Lynch has done with, with that Chiefs discussion we had earlier. They drafted, they had all those drafts at the front of the at the front of the draft now. It doesn't guarantee anything. Mm-hmm. We know that by teams that are perennially in the front front end of the draft, but they decided we're going to draft the the interior. We're going to get bigger on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to become a big physical football team all over the all over the game at the expense of maybe reaching for a quarterback. And I know they they may or may not have gotten pretty lucky with Jimmy G falling into their laps, but at this point in his career, with he's not an elite quarterback, but they've developed a system and, no. a, and a roster in place to where they don't need an elite quarterback. They they did it a different way, a unique way that's very reminiscent of football playing in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But here they are in the Super Bowl as one of the final two teams. No, exactly. And then just, yeah, all around that defense has been special from the get-go this year. Like you alluded to, those high draft picks all sort of finally paying dividends with uh, DeForest Buckner, Armstead, and obviously Bosa coming in this year. So, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's how John Lynch wanted to build his team from the front back. So it's give him credit drafted McGlinchey for the O-line the first round a couple of years ago. That worked out. Yeah, now they're game away from Lombardi. Yeah, I mean, they're able to get they're able to get uh, pressure on the quarterback without having to dial up a lot of blitzes, so anytime you could do that, especially against a guy like Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay team that had no answers uh, for anything that they did uh, defensively. They were pushed around until the end when they were able to kind of move the ball, but uh, you know, it's just it's a special, special team. They weren't able to run the ball as much 
when they were down by double digits. So that kind of took the Aaron Jones factor out of their hands as well. Packers mm-hmm. finished 14-4. and four, But I'm hard-pressed to, to think of a team with that impressive of a, of a final record that more people aren't just chalking up as kind of fraudulent. Because 14-4 and four and we're like, well, this team wasn't that good. Do you agree with that? Do you think this was kind of just an, uh, a slightly above-average team? I know they were one game away, but didn't really seem like they were as good all year. Definitely forgettable. I don't know what why that is. Like their division's pretty bad with but the Vikings made the playoffs, so I don't know, it's interesting. Obviously I think it's just the not necessarily Aaron Rodgers fatigue, but it's just like, oh that's Aaron Rodgers, he does that every year and I don't know. Their their defense actually played well most of the year, so I guess that took some sizzle out of it being like just the flashy Mm-hmm. offensive team that we usually know in Green Bay but yeah you're right one of the more forgettable 13 and 3 teams in probably league history I think the style of play is part of it I also think that they got some some fortunate breaks in the schedule this year now they did they did own Minnesota a playoff team who actually won a game so props to them for that but they played the Chiefs without Mahomes as one of their games uh, you know, the Cowboys and the NFC East, who they were paired with, they, they lost the Eagles. The Cowboys kind of turned into a disaster down the stretch. So they didn't really have those tough games. You know, the Niners playing the Ravens was a, was a big game to, you know, have to go up against. They didn't have anything mm-hmm. quite like that. And some of their losses, I mean, the Niners' regular season loss and the Chargers' regular season loss, they got destroyed. So I think that's the other yep. side of it, too, is that we remember losses a lot more than sometimes wins. Uh, I do think That's this, true, unless you win it all. Yeah, unless you win it all, then you just forget about those losses. The Packers do have something, I think, special brewing. I don't think they're a flash in the pan like they'll never be. It's hard to say they'll ever they'll never be at this point again, but some issues to uh, to address for sure. I think the line needs to be shored up, and, and we'll see. I think Rodgers still has some football left. He might not be peak Rodgers ever again, but with his knowledge and his arm strength still, and his mobility still pretty much intact. I think this team has a good three, four-year window to accomplish some things. Yeah, Matt LaFleur looked like he knew what he was doing and wasn't just the, like, McVeigh disciple, like, random hiring. So give him credit. It looks like Rodgers and him worked well together. So that division is going to be interesting. I guess the Vikings are always going to be there as long as uh, Zimmer has that defense playing well. But, the Bears, who knows, and then, well, Detroit's Detroit, so, yeah, they'll, they'll have their chances for sure. I think that's actually the sign when you drive in. It just says Detroit's Detroit, and you just drive into the city. <laughs> I think that's what it says. Uh, I haven't been there in a while. I'd have to check. Uh, I, I agree with you. Before, had a good season, though I do think that there might be this little brother thing going on with Shanahan because he worked under him for all those years, all those stops, and Shanahan that's just true. owns him in every big game, so maybe he knows what, what's coming every time. Uh, the Super Bowl matchup, we're not going to get into a full preview now, but I just wanted to point out it's a very, very good, I'd say, quote-unquote, fight, like a boxing or UFC fight, stylistically. Because mm-hmm. this is opposites going up against each other, and I think it's going to make for a good game. One way or the other, I think we're going to get to see some cool football in this one, a traditional old-school defense-first run-heavy team versus that fun-and-gun offense in Kansas City. should be pretty fun. Oh, I agree. And like we alluded to earlier, definitely – two of the best teams going at it, which obviously sometimes it's cool for the underdog story, but I mean, in the championship game, you, you want the two best teams to be there for a fun game, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Um, I, I'll bet you though, that Jimmy G is going to have to throw more than 10 passes in this one. Just, just a hunch. So we'll see. 
Yeah, that is a pretty good hunch. This line has stayed at roughly within two to two points Kansas City, three points Kansas City is about as high as I've seen it getting. It's gone down to about one right now, but it's going to be teetering right around even the whole time, I do believe. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of storylines in that one, too. Uh, obviously, you have two young rosters that are built for the long haul that are trying to not just win one title, but maybe win a couple. You have the two best, probably, tight ends in football playing against each other in Kittle and Kelsey, so that should be a fun one Definitely. as well. Reed going for his first ring. San Francisco trying to get their return to glory as well. And a lot of red in this one from a, from a visual standpoint. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Chiefs are going with the the red jerseys. I saw in this one, 49ers are going to be wearing the white. So okay, we have to go back. I feel like teams that wear white normally win, though. Yeah, I know the Patriots ones. They won the last two. They won were white, not the color. Uh, Well, actually, no, they wore white in all of them. So they lost that one uh, to the Eagles wearing white. I think too. So the the Eagles are the last uh, color Mm -hmm. jersey team to win for sure. But before them, I think it was like. The Packers wow. and that game against the Steelers was the last time that wow. the colored jersey team has won. Some good research there. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I'm thinking what the uniforms look better as. I guess I'd rather it be the other way, though, because I like the Niners classic jerseys probably a little more. But Same. either way yeah, is fine. I, I agree. Uh, and obviously this can't be a weird one where you wear both colors because no one will know who has the ball. But uh, I think that'll be pretty, I think it'll be pretty <laughs> fun to see what happens there. Should be a good time as well, and so everybody has you know over a week now to get their props ready too, because you got to get ready for that. A lot of uh, action this Super Bowl as always. Uh, Matt Winberg, Money Mitch Effect. I want to change sports here, talk a little baseball because it is still January. Spring training hasn't started. Some good news in that uh, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, do we find the guy who didn't vote for Jeter yet? Are we gonna Are we gonna just get a group together and, and deal with him or what? It'll come out eventually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's uh. I don't know. I don't like the grandstanding, like trying to make a statement thing. Like if the guy's a Hall of Famer, just vote for him to be in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't matter. If it's his first year on the ballot or his tenth, whatever. I don't know. Not a fan. It's uh, yeah. The the process sucks for a lot of reasons. Uh, Walker. I mean, I was a big Larry Walker fan growing up, and it just shows you how ridiculous this is because he was like twenty two percent like five years ago, and now he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I mean, come on. But the, uh, yeah. the the Jeter thing, not getting 100% of the vote, I mean, realistically, it doesn't matter. I think I think part of the problem is, and I don't want to put myself in the minds of some of these established old voters, but they look at people who haven't been you know, perennial Hall of Famers and they think, well, if this guy wasn't a perennial or this guy wasn't a, a unanimous Hall of Famer, I mean, why should Jeter get all the votes? Yeah. And then they grandstand that way. I, I don't like it. I don't like it personally. I, it's almost like you don't even need to you don't even need to release all this crap. Just is he a Hall of Famer or not? Does he pass a certain certain threshold? What a minute. But that's my baseball exactly. take. Uh, and more more <laughs> interesting notes uh, currently is uh, we've been monitoring this Houston Astros thing and just enjoying every second of their suffering. So uh, the more it comes out, the more we <laughs> that's do, for sure. The more we like them less, the more we enjoy it more. Though this whole scandal, we are talking about this. How could they possibly let them have that fan fest thing and have the players talking to the media? I don't know. This, the whole the whole situation's been like just the basically what not to do from a PR standpoint. Without like the the players haven't come out with any statement or anything like that. No one knows anything. Yeah, you fire the the GM and the manager, but I feel like that was just like bare, the bare minimum to save face. I don't know. It's a little tone deaf, and then 
apparently I didn't verify it for myself, but the, supposedly they had there was a trash can in the dugout today too, and fans were lining up to take pictures with the trash oh can God. there. So I mean, I feel like that should be one of the first things on the to do list before you open the gates. Like, oh yeah, let's uh, clear the trash can out of the dugout. But obviously, I'm bitter about the Dodgers losing that World Series to them. You have bad memories of the Indians and playing them in the playoffs. So yeah, this couldn't have worked out better for us. But I think that we're both of the mindset that they should still vacate that uh, 2017 uh, World Series title. Yes, and I think we would also agree you don't just hand it over to the Dodgers or anybody else. You just vacate no, the title. No, of course not. No one wants a ring that way. Um, I think I think this is – it's pretty simple. This was player-driven, and I know we've heard a lot of stuff and seen a lot of stuff on, on Twitter and online, but this was a player-driven scandal. Obviously, it's affecting the managers, the GMs, and, and former player and Carlos Beltran who's supposed to manage and, and isn't anymore, uh, the Mets. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you find players – did if you find direct evidence that players did the things that are alleged, then they got to pay somehow. Strip them of the of their rings. I think is, is a good start, but there should be significant suspensions. And and I'm not going to throw the band word out there lightly. But depending on how far this goes and who knew what and who did what, that's something to consider as well. Because this is a this yeah, is the absolutely. worst cheating scandal that I can remember. I'm just going to say it's it's basically on the lines of like a point shaving thing. Like you're, you're talking 100%. about, you're talking about cheating and, and not just stealing signs, which is fair and square and gamesmanship. I get that, but this electronic buzzer situation, tra- trash can, video room, real time cheating, is uh, I don't think something that anybody should stand for. But hey, Houston, if, if if this is how they want, if this is how they're comfortable winning, I mean, okay, what can they, what can be done if the MLB won't go at the players' association, which I think is the big problem here. The PA and MLB, exactly. MLB doesn't want to go at them, so. That's where we are. Yeah, actually, I think the CBA is up in the next couple of years. So obviously, and relationships are pretty strained recently with all of like the free agency stuff and guys not getting the deals they want and like free agency dragging on to like February. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a uh, just I guess the perfect storm of like circumstances for them not to punish the players, which is unfortunate because, like you said, it's player driven. If the players didn't want to do it, then they wouldn't have done it. It's like if the manager said, hey, we're going to do this thing, uh, let's go with it. If the players say no, then that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It feels really cut and dry to me, but obviously I'm on the outside looking in. I'm biased against losing that World Series. So it's just a yeah, really unfortunate staying on the game right now. And I mean, I'm sure it is widespread, but this is the one that's come out. This is the one where baseball hasn't really laid the hammer down as far as punishment right. goes. So what's to discourage the next team for or whatever teams that are still doing it to keep on doing it? Right. Just got to find the next way around, not getting detected. No mm. more trash cans or video rooms, whatever the case may be. Yeah, this is a, a precedent that I think the MLB could do a good job in, in laying the hammer down and saying this won't be tolerated. This is what will happen. Uh, and just the arrogance that organization has has always pissed me off. So that's the other part of this is that they felt like they reinvented baseball. But it has been a nice little uh, pause break and a distraction from the fact that the Indians are going to probably lose Lindor, maybe even to your Dodgers. So I, I could use this little break in the action of that. <laughs> hey, believe me, that would make me pretty damn happy. Yeah, that's one of us. But um, I feel like our uh, <laughs> front office is so cheap with the prospects. So well, well, you, you probably don't have to worry about from us. 
Yeah, let me show you a cheap front office. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> UFC was the last thing I wanted to touch here on the Money Mitch effect. Did you watch any of the McGregor Cowboy fight? Yeah, all uh, 46 seconds of it. <laughs> I sure right. did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, for one, you know, in talking to our buddy Jose Youngs, who covers that stuff, was really, really mm-hmm. uh, pessimistic about Cowboy's chances given the fact that he's old, has a lot of miles on him. And uh, is a south is a southpaw or doesn't do well against southpaws that McGregor is. Didn't know that it would be this. Yeah, basically quick. the perfect storm. Perfect storm, but also you're getting McGregor that had to have a win. So if he's not going to come into the best shape mm-hmm. of his life, getting ready for a win, it's almost like what's the point? So can't say I'm like stunned that it was that short. It was a little surprising, but I think we were all feeling McGregor winning this one. A hundred percent, and him with. McGregor having the long layoff in between the Habib fight and this one. Yeah, his motivation to prove that he still still can do it. And then obviously getting it done at welterweight this time around, I'm sure, was big time for him. So going to be interesting to see where he goes moving forward. I know the Diaz trilogy is being tossed out a lot, but uh, I feel like I think you might agree with this too, that, but the uh, Jorge Mazidal fight makes the most sense for him moving forward at this point. And then, because Habib still has to fight uh, Tony Ferguson coming up as well. Right, and this is just me kind of hearing different people, different sources, and just speculating. Masvidal obviously would be down at some money-making fight. Uh, he also, Masvidal, has some, some interest in that belt, depending on what happens if it's Usman and him next, what where he goes from there. This is mm-hmm. what I think we're, we're getting to, and, and, and I don't like, Connor at a welterweight as much. I don't think that's his natural weight, and I just don't think he'd do as well against those fighters. But it's a fight that I want next for him that I think I wanted originally is I want him to fight Gaethje next. And that's the fight I want mm, where I think it's, it's, it's a good fight. I think it's, if I'm an odds maker, I'm pretty much making it a 50-50, slightly depending on, you know, certain things. But you hear McGregor's coach talk, uh, and he said that he doesn't want to go down he wants to keep fighting Walter Wade unless there's a title fight opportunity. So it was very interesting for me to hear that. And I think part of that, part of those mm-hmm. words makes me think, okay, he can fight Gaethje at Walter Wade. And if he wins that, then he has his options where by then the dust is settled on Tony and Khabib and maybe Masvidal and Usman. Then it's like whoever Conor wants to fight, obviously Dana White will let him fight. So I think that fight yep, gives him the most true. options. And it also gives him another fight that Gaethje's a bad dude for sure. I don't think that that quite is the competition level at the moment of a Masvidal or a Khabib or a Ferguson, and you can throw Usman in there. So I think that would be the best course of action going forward if he wants to fight quickly too. He, he also mentioned he wants to fight, you know, March or April. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I did see that he wanted to fight uh, before the summer, so and that would give him the time for uh, the dust to settle in other divisions as well. So yeah, I, I like that line of thinking. You fight then, you win, even if it's a war, you wait till like a, a September card. You got like six months for all the dust to settle. You can really promo a big fight. Um, but hey, props yep. to McGregor for getting back in there. I'll, I'll give him credit for this, man. He has all the money in the world. He does not need to be doing this. He's got a pretty good legacy. He just loves the fight. <laughs> got has the uh, proper 12 whiskey business as well, so... <laughs> Yeah, first time I think we saw someone's business inside the octagon as well on one of the uh, ads. So 
the rest of the card was <laughs> the rest of the, yeah. the mic from uh, Rogan to promote a proper 12. That was great. Uh, there's some other big fights coming up that we got our eyes uh, looking up for as well. The rest of the card wasn't that great, but UFC starting's getting going. UFC season's getting going. We're all pretty excited for that. Uh, what fight, I guess I'll end with this. Any fights you're looking forward to in the next couple of months? Uh, well, it'd be Ferguson. Definitely the one that's mm-hmm. uh, really circled right now. So, But we'll see. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably where, where I'm leaning towards. Yeah, Jones-Reyes, I just... Uh, Reyes looks good. He's undefeated. But are we really buying anybody to beat Bones right now? No, I keep definitely co- not. Yeah, I keep going back to that. I think that's gonna be uh I think that's gonna be a tough one. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean Tony is a good one. I will say Tony Khabib is a good one. I will say recently announced Ramiro Adiasenia, that's gonna be a good fight. Like that one. Oh yeah, yep. At uh UFC two forty eight. Just scroll past it. You have that one and uh that fight is the main event over uh probably my least favorite fighter right now is Joanna's on that on that card, trying trying to get her belt back, so Really hope that doesn't happen, but uh, no, I think Ramiro. Yeah, I'd say Anya coming off the big uh, Whitaker win too. Yeah, yeah. And still undefeated. So undefeated. Romero's just an insanely tough dude. He's got to make weight. That's going to be a whole battle as well. So there's some good fights to look forward to. Uh, Matt Wittenberg, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll uh, we'll definitely be chatting again soon. And uh, you know, I know it's like I know it's like it's a little chilly for LA people. It's like fifty-five or so at night. So everybody, stay warm out there. (laughs) Sorry, everybody, stay warm out there. As I got a little dig at my Cleveland people was negative today, so I had to throw that in there. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I I still need a sweater right now, though. We need sweaters out here. It's cold. It's cold. But uh, Matt, thanks again for coming (laughs) on the show. You got it anytime. All right, huge thanks again to Matt Wittenberg for coming on the show, breaking down why this Super Bowl will be great aesthetically on the eyes as well. Some good uniform issue, uh, good uniform history there as well. And talking baseball in the UFC, always fun to talk to Witt. Next up, tennis, 2020 Australian Open. George Pinozian, we talk about the first few days, how it's affected our gambling lives, not usually for the better. And we break down some value bets you're going to want. It's George Pinozian, the gambler, the owner of Sweet and Hollow. He's here now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, Money Mitch Effect, Australian Open. We're a couple days in. Got to talk to the resurgent gambler, the Hungarian delight specialist, George Pinozian's here. Also a high school sports correspondent. <laughs> Welcome back, George. Uh, hope we are uh, we're still doing good money wise. I know it's been a bad couple of days gambling. Uh, as we record this on tu- on uh, Wednesday, Tuesday night was just a killer in a lot of ways for both of us. Yeah, it's just uh, a lot of upsets. You know, definitely some of the higher seeds have been having a hard time with the lower seeds, and even some you know even like Halep. There's been some matches where uh, they've just barely like. The higher seeds are just barely winning, you know? Yeah, there's been opportunity to make money. Unfortunately, we haven't found it. <laughs> so uh, I think the, I, know. I think there have been some favorites winning and some upsets happening. It's, uh, it's a good first start of the Grand Slam. Obviously, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal seem locked in. Serena's been playing pretty dominant tennis as well. 
uh, a lot of different places we can start. I think I want to start with this, though. This is another third-round performance, or better, for Coco Golf. Coco Crunch, you mean? You know what I like uh, about yeah. her the best is that she's a, she's a fighter out there. Because, like, in, is, in, in a lot of these matches, she she's winning in three. Yeah, a lot of these matches, she's winning yeah. in three after losing the first set. So, not her best tennis beating Cristea, but gets another matchup with Osaka after battling back and winning late 7-5 in the third. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cristea, you know, she's been around for a while. She's definitely a veteran. But uh, that's a good victory for her. And I, I had her straight up and in a parlay. So, uh, I'm happy about that. But yeah, yeah, she's she's a you know she's a she likes to give a show you know that's that's the thing about her she uh, she's definitely a fighter and her matches are a lot of fun to watch because there's always drama. There it really is. Osaka up next will be good to see if there's any development from the last time they played in the U.S. Open where uh, she got kind of worked a little bit. Uh, I mentioned the favorites off the top, but Federer is winning at an alarming rate, George, and you know. His quarterfinal, I just want to point out, was supposed to have Dimitrov and, and to get to the quarterfinal. Was supposed to have Dimitrov. Was supposed to have Shapovalov. Those guys are out. There's no seeds left. There's nobody inside the top 40 left for Federer to get to his quarterfinal. So what was, I think, at the start of the tournament, like minus 125, Fed to win his quarter, is pushing minus 500 right about now. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's good for him. I mean, I, I don't really see Shapovalov as too much of a threat. For Federer, but um, yeah, talk about a bet that Dimitra, we won. Dimitra, yeah. Talk about a bet that we won. Fusevich, another Hungarian delight, winning. The Hungarian, yeah, I'm all about the Hungarians. But unfortunately, I, I bet against him. Well, uh, yesterday, last round, because I, I was didn't think that he could do it again. But I don't know. He's pretty. That guy's pretty fit, you know. I think maybe he's like on steroids or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to go that far. But he's super, super fit. Um, he is. You know, uh, Dimitrov. You know, we can talk about that one. He loses to Tommy Paul. Great story. This Tommy Paul kid, twenty-two years old from New Jersey, and uh, is finally breaking through, making some noise at the Grand Slams. Wins in five sets. But George, watching this match, Dimitrov comes back from two sets down, up a break in the fifth. Paul is clearly like breaking down, like he's walking slowly. The heat is getting to him. The five set match is getting to him. He doesn't really have a lot of experience in that. Dimitrov serving five four thirty love and loses four straight points to choke uh, in classic style with you having money on classic. It. Classic. I mean, it just doesn't get any more classic than that. I think I just always have too much hope on Dimitrov. Just meeting him one day for thirty seconds really screwed both of us over. <laughs> <laughs> Forever, it seems like. Uh, you've made God, a recovery. He jinxed me, about too. <laughs> yeah. He jinxed my betting career. Oh, man. Yeah, you had promised that. You were, like, ready to, to make it in the betting world, and I don't know about right now. Uh, Tommy Paul, great, great win for him. Uh, he's got a lot of famous fans, including, uh, Jamie, or including Judy Murray, who tweeted about him, like, four times yesterday. So, uh, <laughs> Judy's, make, Judy's making a move here. Well, I mean, that's that's interesting. I went, I, what did her tweet say exactly? She tweeted at Brad Gilbert and John Wertheim directly, like, I'm a massive Tommy Paul fan He and Tommy Paul's box office and, like, stuff like that. Wow. Like, you know, so. No, I mean, yeah, it's, like you said, it's a good story. Um, I've heard his name kind of floating around a little the last few years, but 
now uh, definitely started to make some more noise. And at, only at 22 years old, I think he has a pretty good future. You know, he has good energy on the court and a uh, pretty good forehand and just has a, has a lot of fight in him. And I think that's sometimes some of the things that most Americans are missing, they, that, that fight, that, that heart. And I, I kind of saw it in him. Yeah, it's a great story. Um, we'll see. We'll monitor. I, I don't think Andy Murray's going to have a new stepdad, but maybe. Uh, I don't know. Um, the other you thing... never know. There's a chance. Deliciano didn't make it, but now it's... Uh... Yeah, yeah. He lost on the day Paul won his first round match, so obviously mixed emotions there for Judy. Um, another one to talk about, George, here on the Money Mitch Effect, George Pinozian. Uh, some other interesting uh, developments. We mentioned Serena. Got to talk about her. This is going to be a constant thing, right? How can she win seven matches? Because she looks dominant early. But there's some there's some tricky matchups coming up uh, in her way. And depending on what happens with Osaka, we could be looking at an Osaka-Serena quarterfinal matchup. So Serena looking good so far, but last night was kind of sloppy. Didn't put, uh, didn't put the young player away as quickly. So Serena's somebody to monitor as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, she's been... You know, she's coming off an Auckland uh, trophy, um, you know, winning in straight sets, first two rounds. Uh, she's looking good, you know, even though I guess she was complaining, saying that she thinks that she didn't play her best tennis yesterday. Um, I still think, like, she looks pretty good. And Osaka's a, a little tricky because she's, I think she's gone to three sets, right, in her first two matches, no, first two she's, rounds? No, she's handled. Oh, her first no? two rounds, she's been pretty good, yeah. She's yeah. been good, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't trust Osaka. I think she'll beat Coco, but I, I just, I don't know. I think right now, mentally, she's, uh, she's been struggling a little. But we'll see what happens. I, I, I like Osaka and I like her personality. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, the women's draw is, is an interesting one. Like many majors, there's a lot of openness to it. Uh, Noah Andrescu, who is the best hardcore player in the world last year, despite the few tournaments she played, so that kind of opened things up. Barty as the top seed, uh, had one three-set match early against Serenko, but rolled in the last two, one or second match in straight sets. She's obviously trying to win in front of the home crowd, give Australia a major champion winner uh, at home for the first time in a very long time. So she's somebody to look at. It was nice to see Halep kind of roll early. Jen Brady looked like a tricky matchup. Halep won that kind of with ease. So she's kind of putting her name back into the mix as well. Um, and then there, there are the wild card potentials, you know, and, and a name that I throw out there, George, to just make noise. I don't know if I trust her to win a Grand Slam, but I like her game when she's on is Madison Keys, and she's looked pretty good through two rounds as well. So this is a former major finalist that might be healthy and might be getting back to normal, had that final at Brisbane where she went through some pretty good players to get there. Yeah, definitely, and even in that final, you know, she, I know she definitely, definitely had a really good chance to winning that, and was very tight against uh, Pliskova, I believe, um, but, yeah, you know, I'm always a fan of Madison, and, and I, I, I really want to see her, like, succeed and win a, win a Grand Slam, because she does have the game for it, she does have a very powerful game, she just has to, you know, stay focused, and kind of just, get over that hurdle and winning that first slam because that could be tough, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't really seen her draw uh, her next couple matches. 
Are they against some good players? Sakari in the third round, which isn't easy, okay. but I feel like Keys, no. if she's on, she'll win that one. And then it's a showdown with last year's finalist, potentially Kvitova. So mm. that so could be kind you know, of to some tough matches, yeah. Kvitova, Alexandrova, uh, Alexandrova, I think, has had a good start to the year. I think she played in uh, Shenzhen earlier this year and uh, did pretty well there. But I, you know what? I, I honestly do think that Keys this is as good as she can kind of hope for uh, a matchup with Kvitova. I think Kvitova hasn't exactly played well down the stretch last year. She's got a lot of points to defend, but that's the fourth round to get to the quarter where she's looking at, uh, I guess I should say that's where she would be looking at uh, Osaka in the quarter. No, and I'm sorry, not Osaka. It's Osaka Serena. She would get Barty in the quarter. So uh, it, it's, look, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tricky that's, matchups. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not an easy road for her then. No, uh, but I definitely think she's in the mix. Oh. Someone who's not in the mix, George, uh, is, anymore in anything is Sloane Stevens. I mean, what happened to her? I'm not sure. I mean, I just think she's had, you know, she has a grand slam. I think she knows that she can get to the top probably, like when she wants to maybe. That's what she's, that what her mentality is. And I think when she's just not feeling it, she just doesn't care, you know. So it's. Definitely not a good mindset to have, but yeah, you know she's she's definitely falling off a lot, and I'm a little surprised by it. Yeah, she's now I think 14 and 15 in her last 29 matchups, less than 500 record in the live ranking. She's fallen to about 30, but with a couple more wins, she'll be passed by a few ladies. And I bring that up because she'll be out of the seed range. She'll be out of the seed range, so she could draw Barty or Serena or some or Osaka first round. Now, uh, not good for her. I know she's preoccupied with stuff off the court, but you know you got to you got to put the time in to win at this level, regardless of talent. It doesn't seem like she's doing that right now. Uh, we mentioned about how loaded some of the quarters are, George, on the women's side. Some of the sections, there's some open ones too. Uh, like for example, Halops, the next highest seed is uh, Elise Mertens, so it's pretty much hers to win. Collins is kind of the, the wild card in that one, and then the Benchitz section. Uh, highest seed outside of her is Donna Vekic. And, uh, you know, Suarez Navarro beating Sabalenka really opened that one up. So that might be the ones to target yeah. for some value bets, too, because, there, you know, there's always there's always opportunity. And it seems like you got to get away from the favorites, not just the women in Serena, but Federer, Djokovic, Nadal sections. When it's wide open like this, that's where the upsets really happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, there's a lot of there's right now there's a lot of good players you know and it's it's kind of it's up in the air you know there's Osaka there's Serena there's Barty you know those three are definitely definitely playing like the top of their game and then Kavitova is a sneaky pick too you know she always she's if she can get going she's good on the hard court I know Wazi's like played super passive and, and defensive but you know it's her Still last alive. tournament. Still alive. Yeah, you know, still alive. It's her last tournament. You never know. You never know. She has a grand slam under her belt at the U.S. Open. So it's a hardcore tournament. I don't really like her game that much, but you never know with her. Yeah, stop, shout out to Daniela Jastrzemska for blowing uh, a two-break lead in two straight sets uh, in a match that I had sure. money on to uh, lose to Wozniacki. So great job by her, uh, obviously. Uh, George, let's look at the men's side before we talk about some betting advice going forward. Uh, top of the draw, top of the uh, the matchups we want to see. Fourth round at the top of the list would be Kyrgios and Nadal, and who wouldn't want that? 
Wow, that's a fantastic one. And Kyrgios, you know, he's uh, he's been acting a little different lately. You know, he's been showing a little bit some slight maturity, I think, uh, in his um, in his mental game. Now, you know, he, he was. I know I was reading an article that was mentioning that because of all, I guess, all of the Australian brush uh, brush fires that he was saying that it's really opened his eyes and mm-hmm. and it's made him realize why why you know why is he getting so mad puts things in perspective yeah. for him why is he getting so mad on the tennis court it's just tennis like there's other things in life that are more important and i mean obviously it, everyone yeah, that's the correct statement that he should be saying but it's just funny that something like that had to happen in order for him to say that but well yeah i mean uh, it's good for him though it is, and and I actually believe there's some sincerity there. I don't think he's necessarily a Definitely. bad a bad guy. It seems like you know other than oh, no. other than other than you know Djokovic and him have have that going on. But Federer, a lot of other guys, a lot of the the, the commentators and whatnot, they think he's a good guy that's just troubled at times uh, with how he handles things. So this is good. I mean, he's still we got to remember he's still like will be 25 I think this year, so he's still you know becoming mature, uh, and he does seem like he's playing for something bigger than just his own personal interests. So. He'd have to play your exactly. boy. He'd have to beat your boy Hatchinoff uh, in the third round, uh, and if he does that, then it looks like a date with Nadal. That'd be a good matchup. It's always good to to uh, kind of monitor how the next gen does as they look for their first major collectively. And you start with Medvedev mm-hmm. because he's outside of the big three, clearly the most consistent player on tour. Has a favorable favorable uh, run to the semis if he can win all of his matches. But lost one set to TFO. Medvedev is looking good though, looking solid. And just looks like he won't wear down. No, yeah, he's one of the most mentally tough, toughest players right now on the tour. And um, besides that, his game is just continuing on. He's just getting better and better. And hard court's definitely his surface. And he has a great all-around game. You know, good serve, good forehand, uh, stays composed during during tough times in the match and um that was a fun match between Tiafo definitely a tough first uh first round opponent for him but uh Tiafo showed some showed some grit out there and I was actually pretty pretty impressed with his performance though because Medvedev is just tough to play first round he sure but is. he's the guy that that definitely can can you know can take a slam you know and then right now and even all the big the big three they they they're I feel like they fear him a bit yeah, way more than the other ones. I mean, Zverev's got the serve issue going on, um, where he where you Zverev know. is not even in the conversation anymore. Yeah. I think Sitsipas is though, because Sitsipas winning the win in the year end yeah. final last year, and his 2019 he had wins over he had two wins over Federer. He beat Djokovic and he beat Nadal, so he beat all of them. Um, so he can kind of put it together, even in a major. He's made some runs like last year, Australia semifinal. Uh, Zverev is in the conversation. Berrettini's already out. He lost to Sangren. So it's really down to, you know, if someone's going to break through, and I don't consider team next gen, he's a little older as is Kyrgios, it looks like Tsitsipas mm-hmm. and Medvedev are uh, are kind of in the mantle right now for the Grand Slam run. So something to see. Yeah. All uh, right. All right, George, before we go, we got to look at the betting odds for the next two days and give some people what they want, and that's picks or, or ways to go against us here on the Money Mitch Effect. Um, All right. Let's look at the men's Where side we first. Starting? We're gonna look at the men's side first. Now, okay. I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't exactly love this board. I'm shell shocked after getting just worked yesterday. Uh, but 
looking at some odds, looking at some opportunities, I'll tell you what kind of intrigues me on first glance starting out, and that's Bashes Vili over Verdasco at plus 119. Really? Yeah, well, I know it's a uh, scary that's, one. It's, that's, that's, it's a tricky one, Verdasco's experience. You know, I, I don't know about that one. He's old. I that's, almost kind of like Verdasco, uh-oh. but that's why, I, I don't know, I just kind of stay away. <laughs> Verdasco seems to just show up in the slams. I don't know what it is. He just, like, takes just, it to another level. Just likes to get down. He just, yeah, I don't know what it is. You know, there's just more money involved, and maybe he just starts trying. I don't know. What do you think about... I love that Galbus is in the third round. I know, he beat Felix. I mean, this is a guy that's just hanging in there. What do you think about the Fritz-Anderson match right now, that Anderson's about a slight favorite, minus 115, 117, Fritz about minus 103? I kind of like Fritz. I kind of like Fritz on that, because one is Anderson just came off, like, a grueling five-set match where he won, like... 10 to 8 in the tie break or something in the fifth set tie break so and I know he's still kind of like coming back from from like an injury I don't I don't think he's fully fit but for him to play that much tennis in a tennis in a short uh time frame I think it might it might catch up to him and Fritz has been looking good you know at hardcore big servers I mean they're both big servers but I don't know I think I I, I like Fritz yeah, I would agree. I have to think about that, but it's probably my favorite bet of the day so far would be Fritz tonight um, on the men's side. Any other men's matches today that you're looking at? Yeah, I think, uh, let's see, uh, t- uh, for tonight. Yeah, you don't have to um, say yes. You could wait. We could go to the women's and look at tomorrow. I, I have a few, I think, more tomorrow. Okay. I think a good value bet is the... Uh, the Zverev's opponent, Igor Gerasimov. <laughs> he's a Portuguese tennis oh. player, and he's at plus 350. We're doing value bets and now. Zverev can literally lose to anybody. Mm. And I, last round, I put money on Chechenato because I was like, there's a chance. And Chechenato was up 4-2 to two in the first set. And I and I was like, and I took, I took Chechenato at plus 600 uh, in-game when they were like on serve. Wow. And, and then right when wow. I took it, he went up a break. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Zverev is happening again. <laughs> but then Zverev kind of came back, broke, broke him right back, and then took control of the match. But uh, Ger- Gerasimov beat uh, your boy Kasper Ruud in five sets. He did. So I don't really know much about him, but I know Kasper Ruud is a good player. So that's a value bet, I think, at plus 350. might be worth throwing down something a little there. Well, I, yeah, uh, I, I think you know my favorite women's bet. Uh, of today, the only one that I really feel confident in. You might have to lay a little odds because she's a favorite, but she'll never steer you wrong. She'll never let you down. Kuznetsova against Georgie, minus 142. <laughs> Kuzi. Kuzi, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about her. Georgie's not she's like a scary too... matchup. Big Georgie fan, personally, no. obviously, but it's not a scary matchup. Yeah. Uh, you're right, absolutely. And Kuzi, I, I like Kuzi at minus 150 there, too. I also really like Collins, Daniel Collins, a lot versus Putin Savos. She's at minus 230 on my site. It's but, a good parlay, maybe. Uh, you know, Collins, Kuzi, parlay. I think that'd be a good one. Yeah, that'll be a good one. And Collins, you know, she has a lot of points to defend. She made the semifinals last year. so And, and she had a close match in the, in the first round. Um, you know, so I think... Uh, she has a lot to play for, and then she knows it. 
and she likes Australia. She was saying that her boyfriend's Australian. She like wants to move to Australia. She can see herself living there. <laughs> so it reminds her of Florida, you know, the humidity and everything. But oh, but, wow, yeah. that's just that's just lovely stuff. Uh, the next day, <laughs> we can look at the Thursday bets because the lines are already out for them. Uh, some interesting value there. I know I just pump in keys as tires, but Sakari at plus two fifty might be worth a fiver because uh, I think she that, could that win might, that game. Yeah. She could win that match. How about Coco Golf? Coco three sixty versus Ooh. Osaka. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like the matchup for her. I think it'll be closer than the U.S. Yeah. Open, but I just I think the matchup's tough because Osaka has. Would you say outside of Serena? I mean, maybe with Serena at this point, the best serve in women's tennis is Osaka consistently. Yeah. And that's where Definitely, she gets free yeah. points, and that's what happened in that last one. Um, let's see, the other matchups, too. How about the Ali risk Urgis match? Do you have a feel on that one? Two big I, servers? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty even. I, I like Gurgis on, on that one. Yeah, I have to think about it, but there's value there. Whoever you bet on, there's going to be a chance to win some money uh, on that one. It's a, it's a coin flip for sure. Um, and then the other one that I was looking at for that day was if we're just going to keep fading, what, what was he? Owens Jabour is plus 207. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jabour. Uh, Kareem Abdul Jabour. She, she she's a hard hitter, too. Yeah, she's a hard hitter, too. So she, she definitely has a chance. Uh, uh, the uh, last, I really like, yeah. I like CC Bellis at Ooh. plus 140 versus Machova. Hmm. I think that's a good bet. Yeah, is yeah. that tomorrow or today? That's actually tonight. Tonight, yeah. okay. That tonight. might be worth God, she's healthy. She should win that match, oh. but that's the question. You know, she hasn't played. She just got back to the court. But, yeah, I could definitely be talked into that. Although, Muchova, I think, screwed me once at uh, – I had somebody guess. I think I had, like, <laughs> Zink. I think I had uh, Shea at the U.S. Open. I'm watching on the outer court, like, uh. court, court 375 with five fans, her parents and me, and, and I lost. <laughs> oh, man. So, he had uh, some bad memories. Yeah, that. some bad memories. Uh, I do like the fact that Djokovic is just beating ja- – he's just – all of his opponents have been Japanese, so he's just running through a few <laughs> of them to get to the quarterfinal. Yeah, you know. Nishioka up next. Uh, Bringing his bento box. Yeah, doesn't have our boy. Uh, doesn't have our boy. Uh, parents met on Wall Street. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, but then, uh, so, oh, uh, yeah, whatever it is. Taro Daniel. Taro Daniel. Taro Daniel. Yeah. Parents met on Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, where did they meet? I don't know. Uh, Sangren is plus 142 against Query. So that might be something to look at, the way Sangren's been playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, two Americans playing each other, definitely. Um, plus 140, huh? A lot of close matchups. Tomorrow is where the action yeah, is on the men's side, so I would I would caution everybody I because so. I'm, I'm looking at the lines here and I'm seeing uh, that match I mentioned, Leovich against Schwartzman plus two hundred six. He's playing really good. I like that. That's a, I that, like you that, know, yeah. that's a good one to consider. I know we were we were on the wrong side of Chilich. I was because when you bet on Benoit Pair, I think you realize you're just an idiot, and that's where I was yesterday. Him losing that match. He almost had it, dog. You know, it's tight. <laughs> he take. You're he right. Was up he, two sets to one. He take, up two sets to one. He tanked two full sets and still almost won the match. It was just incredible. Uh, but Chilich yeah. plus two twenty one against Batista is a good one. You mentioned Paul. Ver, you mentioned Paul versus Fusevic, as well as Fognini and Pe- and Peya basically a pick 'em. Fognini winning two five set matchups to get there. So I'm excited. 
I'm very excited yeah. about the betting potential that we have here and the potential to lose a bunch of money. <laughs> Definitely. All right, George. You know, we'll, uh, yep. George, blast, but before I let you go, uh, one last question. If you were ever playing pickup basketball, would you just get a chair in, in the middle of a fight? <laughs> you know what? That's something that I would probably do. So, because <laughs> I'm, I can, I can get a little crazy. I don't. It's not like he was like, I'm <laughs> but, gonna hit him with the chair. It's like he was mad. He was seeing red. He's like, oh, there's this chair here. Let me just use it. So the question is, is did he drop it or did somebody else get it out of him? That's the question. I watched that video like five to ten times. There's a lot going on. Like you don't even pick up everything a that's lot. happening in it. There's managers fighting players. There's fans in there. There's chairs. There's one guy that's not throwing punches. He's just trying to step over everybody. Um, and how about this? They brought Kansas State back onto the floor to shoot one more free throw when they were with one second left. Which a lot of times the crowd, the the refs would just run that off the clock. The score was. A 23-point game, and Kansas State was 22.5-point underdogs. <laughs> so oh they brought him out to shoot a free throw they made, and then they covered the spread. So I just they even had the gambling fix in there. Unbelievable. Yeah, Unbelievable. That, that guy's going to get – he's suspended indefinitely, DeSosa, and he's probably going to get kicked off the team would be my guess. Yeah. he used the chair in a fight. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, that was wild. That was that – got, that got crazy real quick. Crazy stuff, man. Uh, always uh, always good to catch uh, some of that stuff, George. Thanks, yeah, man. George, we'll have to catch you at Smorgasbord. You're a sweet and hollow setup, as well as uh, probably the next Sierra Canyon game, I think. <laughs> yeah, you can catch me at all of their all of their home games or away games that are around the LA area. <laughs> I'll be tossing I'll be tossing some Tootsie Rolls at Bronny, so Oh no, no, that wasn't you. That was definitely not you. So you weren't in Boston that day, I can confirm that. Uh George Spinozian, <laughs> thanks for talking tennis and betting on the Money Mitch Effect. Money Thanks for having me, man. That's it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Big thanks again to George Spinozian and Matt Wittenberg for hopping on, talking some sports, shooting the breeze. You can catch every Money Mitch Effect episode on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Search Money Mitch Effect. It comes right up. Leave a rating, a review, subscribe there, and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. Also excited to announce the launch of the Tennis Channel Live podcast where myself, along with a slew of others and a lot of big names, will be on that show. We'll be breaking down the best weekly segments on Tennis Channel as well as adding some original commentary because that's what we need in this world as well with the Australian Open you got to get your tennis commentary somewhere we'll be talking more sports in the weeks to come including the NHL where the Blue Jackets are in the top 10 of points in the league they are riding high we got the All-Star Game in St. Louis coming up this week so big week for the hockey fans in the world like myself this was the Money Mitch Effect I'm Mitch Michaels thanks for listening and until next time keep enjoying sports